we are um, probably finishing up our uh, series on God-given authority, and uh, so you can turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and also uh, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I'll start by reading uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and then we'll go on into Ephesians chapter 2. Of course, um, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, really starting at verse 16, and then Ephesians chapter 3, you find two of uh, the most amazing prayers in the Bible that were given by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And uh, these prayers are given by the Holy Spirit and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of things in life that we can pray for, that we can ask for, uh, but these things are actually seeking the Lord for something that would actually enhance your life and improve your life and open up your life and really give you the foundation of everything else that you need. In other words, you can pray for a new vehicle, you can pray for a house, you can pray for a lot of natural things, but these are actually prayers asking for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, asking for light. And um, as I've said before, when um, Dad Hagen was on the bed of sickness and he was reading Mark 11, 23 and 24, he, um, you know, he began to say, what things soever you desire, he was reading, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. And he was on that bed and he said, Lord, you know, you said, what things soever you desire, and I desire a well body. He had three incurable diseases. And he said, um, when you pray, believe. And he said, I believe. And he, in fact, he said, Lord Jesus, if you said I didn't believe, I'd have to respectfully say that you're lying about it because I know I do believe. And uh, you know, the Lord said to him, well, you do believe as far as you know. And so he didn't know. But as he continued to read, all of a sudden, uh, as he says, the light came on. And that is revelation knowledge. In other words, if we're in this room, and there's no windows in this room except for maybe on that door, but I think they even have them blocked, at least one of them. And if the lights went out and you tried to walk through this room uh, from the front to the back, you might have some difficulty because you'd be, I would be, I'd be like approaching the step and then kind of like unsure of myself. But as soon as the lights are on, you have assurance and you have conviction, and you know, like, when I put this step, I'm going to step down, and I'm going to go down. And you're not wondering. You're not off in the middle of nowhere. And so that's really what happened to him when he was laying in that bed. His light came after he said to the Lord, if you said, I didn't believe, I'd have to say that you're not telling the truth about it. And so, and the Lord said, of course, you do believe as far as you know. And then as he looked, he got that light, and he said, oh, he said, I see I have to believe that I receive healing for my paralyzed body, my incurable blood disease, um, before I actually possess it or consciously possess it. In other words, before I feel the effect in my body. Because what he had done is he would be in bed and he couldn't do much. So he would read the Word of God and he would pray. And um, when he'd pray, he would get blessed. In other words, he would feel like built up and he would feel connected with God and he would many times even kind of feel the tangible presence of God. And as soon as he did that, then he would go because his heart was deformed and his heart wouldn't beat right. So he would reach for his heart and feel his heart. And as soon as he did that, his heart, he, he described it, would uh, beat like a Model T Ford. In other words, it was like, you know, and uh, kind of on and off, on and off. 
And then he'd start crying because he said, well, I felt like I prayed and I know the Lord heard my prayer. And so because he heard my prayer, if he cares and I know he's a caring God, then I'm going to see if I'm well. Well, when the light came, he understood he was having faith in what he could see and feel, not in what God said. In other words, he was trusting in the sense realm. In other words, I'll know that I'm healed as soon as I can feel that I'm healed. But when he got light, he understood that I have to believe that I received when I prayed. And I don't have to worry about the having. I just have to believe that I received. And he said when he actually did that, he, he was um, so assured that he didn't even expect what happened to happen as quickly as what it did happen. He said, I really didn't even care if it was 50 years. He said, because I knew that when I prayed, I received because I believed. And he said, I didn't expect to have that that quickly. But as soon as he prayed, then the Holy Spirit said in his heart, like we were talking, uh, the voice of the Spirit in your heart, well, get up then. And he said, I thought, like, how in the world is a paralyzed person going to get up? And so he began to take the first step. He was laying in the bed, and so he actually grabbed his legs and plopped them onto the floor. Nothing happened. And so there on the floor, he grabs the bedpost and starts getting himself up. And as soon as he starts pulling himself up because his upper body wasn't paralyzed, all of a sudden he said it felt like a warm glow, like a, like a honey came all over him from his head down. And all of a sudden his legs received strength, and his body showed what he already believed. And so... Um, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is being confident of the things um, that we hope for, convinced of the things we do not see. In other words, faith actually gives substance to your hope. So we have to have hope. If you don't have hope, you really can't have faith because faith is the substance of what you hope for. Faith gives substance to what you're hoping for. So we don't, uh, we don't ever throw out hope. Hope is uh, wonderful. Um, and it'll get you through many things when you don't understand or you don't even have the word to stand on because you have hope. But then you have to have faith uh, really to see your circumstances change. And so faith gives substance. In other words, how could he do that? How could he actually believe that? Because he got substance. In other words, he got something that was solid enough for him to act on because of his faith. And his faith came from the Word of God, because he saw the Word of God. And so when we talk about God-given authority, God has given every member of the body of Christ the same authority that Jesus himself had, that Jesus himself gained by conquering and by um, defeating the devil and all the forces of the enemy. And then he said in Matthew 28, I have given you authority. All authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore. So he actually took that authority and he gave it to us. Well, uh, if we look at it just as a um, uh, theological teaching, then I think we really miss out on it because it's really what you say in your life where you have responsibility is what goes or doesn't go. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so he, for the longest time, put up with paralyzed body, deformed heart, incurable blood disease. And then all of a sudden, he started to get light in the Word. And really, something told him, it's right there in those verses. Your answer is right there in those verses. 
Well, that's like an inward conviction, an inward knowing that was like directing him in that path that was the Spirit of God. And um, as he began to look and meditate, he got light and understanding came, and then he saw. And of course, most of you have the, the book, The Believer's Authority, for this series. And um, he said in 13 years of pastoring that uh, when he began to pray the Ephesians prayers, he got so much revelation that he told his wife, why didn't the deacons tell me to come in out of the rain? In other words, I didn't know anything the whole 13 years. And if you knew uh, Kenneth Hagin at all, he was very studious, very disciplined. And um, when he says he didn't know anything, that's pretty significant because uh, you know he would stay up all night many times studying and, and uh, just was a very faithful man. In fact, when, when we worked at Rama uh, and traveled with him, the, uh, I had a friend that cleaned his office. She was in uh, the uh, custodial department or whatever, they, housekeeping they call it there. And um, she would go clean his office on a Friday afternoon, 5 or 6 p.m. And she would many times bump into him because he was there studying. You know, and that was when he was 84, 85, 86. And uh, every, most other people of the ministry had gone home, and he's still there studying. And um, so anyhow... It's such, such a tremendous blessing. I entitled today's message, Look Again. Look Again. And so when we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and then we'll go on to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we see that Christ is seated in heavenly places. Let's uh, read verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, or the might of his power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So he's talking about, the Holy Spirit's talking about through the Apostle Paul, this tremendous power that was exercised or wrought or used or utilized in the raising of Christ from the dead. Actually, it's the mightiest working of power that we really see recorded in the Word of God. Verse 21, far above, when he raised him, far above all principality and power and might, and dominion, and every name which is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, right? So he kind of sums it up, and he's like, you know, just in case you're wondering, this uh, seating of Christ was not above, but far above. All power, all principality, all power, and then in case we get confused, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Right? So we can't even look back and say, well, he was seated high above then, but he's not now, or he won't be in the future. There's greater authorities now. No, he was seated far above, um, both in that world and in the age which is to come. And he has put, verse 22, all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Chapter 2, and you has he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit uh, of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Now pause for just a second. Have you ever found yourself uh, being a born again Christian? with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and living according to the flesh, and you're like, what in the world am I doing? You know, And uh, sometimes that's, uh, the flesh can cause you to do bad things, and sometimes it's just normal things, 
In other words, um, B.B. Hankins used to say, if, if uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't talk to smart people, actually that was, uh, that was uh, Youngie Cho, and B.B. Uh, Hankins would say that uh, if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll just look normal. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll look extraordinary. Well, what does that mean? Well, the, the problem is whenever we, we personally know about a subject, we're no longer looking to the Lord. We're no longer looking to the Word because we already know it. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 talks about that, that we have to pay extra special attention to anything that we've heard, lest at any time, uh, King James says, we let them slip. And the margin says, leak out like water out of a leaky vessel. And so uh, it's the same for me as it is for you. When I hear something that I've already heard, my tendency is to say, okay, let me, I want to hear something new. I want to hear this. I want to hear that. But you know what? When I'm feeding on the subject, that's not my tendency. When I'm feeding on the subject, oh, I want to hear your perspective on it. You tell me about the love of God. You tell me about faith in God. You tell me about healing. Like, I want to hear it. Well, then you know you're actually in a really good position because you're in a position where the Lord can speak to you and reveal to you. But if you already know it, he's not going to show. So Young Cho would say, the Holy Spirit doesn't talk to smart people. Do you understand that? In other words, if you're too smart, you're not really going to hear from God in that area because you're not even looking to God to hear from God in that area. But um, when you look to God, he will speak to you. You know, I don't know if you've heard of uh, T.L. and Daisy Osborne. They've both gone on uh, to be with the Lord now. But uh, we had the privilege of being in some of their meetings. And um, they were world evangelists, as they called it, or we might say missionaries. And so they first struck out, and they went to India. And when they went to India, uh, they didn't really go uh, with the power of God, but they went uh, with the Bible. And uh, they thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to, we're a minister, and, you know, people accept the Lord. And so they went to India, and they sat down with people, and they had their holy book uh, in the Hindu religion, and Teal and Daisy had the Bible, and uh, they said, uh, oh, here, let me read you from the Word of God. And they said, oh, they said, we have a holy book too. It's right here. And so he's like, no, 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 but you don't understand. This is the Word of God. And uh, so they kind of went back and forth, and they came back after a short period of time basically defeated and said, like, we were flat failures because uh, we couldn't convince anybody of anything. And so what they did is they came and they actually went to some meetings and saw a supernatural power of God flowing uh, in some meetings. And they said, you know what? We're going to sit down and we're going to read through the New Testament like we have never seen it before. Like we've never read it before. And they did. And that was one of the big turning points in their life because they were able to receive rather than come and say like, well, yeah, I already know all that. I'm not going to go through that. So they looked and then they ended up having one of the uh, probably most renowned healing ministries, and uh, so many people healed, set free, born again, uh, really of, of our modern time. So when we look, we want to look again. And so when we look at our authority, where are we? Well, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Uh, well, I'll back up in verse 1. And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In time past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, or you could say manner of life in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as others. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, has, uh, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, you see, the very same verb that was used for reviving Christ is the same verb that was used for reviving his church, for reviving us. In other words, the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and set him in his own right hand is the same power that he exerted when he did the same for us. In other words, when Christ defeated all the power of the enemy and then God made him to sit at his own right hand in heavenly places, we were right there with him. In other words, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was not just overcoming physical death. Like Pastor Mark says, he was just not overcoming rigor mortis. But he was actually overcoming the one that had the power of death. And he was overcoming the one that had the power of sickness and disease. He was overcoming the devil and every one of the devil's minions. So when he defeated them, he defeated them utterly and totally, so much so that in Colossians we learn, one translation says that he paraded them through the streets of heaven naked for all to see their utter defeat. And so he totally and utterly defeated them. But he did that for you and for me. And he did it in your place and my place because Christ lived a perfect, godly, sinless life. He didn't deserve to die on the cross and he didn't deserve to go to hell. We deserve that. But he, perfect justice, perfect truth, took on our sins, our iniquities, uh, the penalty for everything that we did, paid the penalty for it, and then gained victory over all of the power of the enemy. And the Bible says that he actually got the keys to death and to hell. And then God seated him in heavenly places. And so uh, you look and you say, wow, that's great that he's up there. But according to the word of God, we're seated with him in heavenly places. Verse 5, even when we were dead, he has quickened us together with Christ. In other words, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places. And so how, how do you actually ascertain? How do you grab hold of the things of God? And we're talking about authority. How do you grab hold of authority? Well, you act like the Bible's true and it will become true. In other words, we talked about him on, on, you know, paralyzed in bed. The only way the word actually became true for him was because he believed it and he acted like it was true. In other words, he believed so much it caused him to act. He said, well, because when he was laying on the bed, the Holy Spirit said in his heart, uh, well, people ought to be up at 10 or 10.30 in the morning. Uh, you know, I often say that you really can't separate walking by faith from being led by the Spirit of God. In other words, the Lord is going to lead you and he's going to guide you as you walk by faith. So sometimes we want to say like, oh, uh, uh, I'm just going to declare a thing and that's the way it's going to be and this is what I'm going to do. And I, I think I've told you this before the story about the pastor and his wife that were getting ready to go on a vacation. And um, the pastor had a check in his spirit, like, don't go right now, don't go right now. But he said, I have authority, and no accident will overtake us. We're going to be just fine. They drove off, got into an accident. Their lives were fine, uh, but their car was totally ruined. And uh, he asked uh, Dad Hagen, he's like, what in the world happened? And he said, well, did the Lord say anything to you? Well, uh, I felt like we weren't supposed to go right then. And he said, well, you have to follow the leading of the Lord. You can't go against the leading of the Lord uh, just because uh, you have authority. And so 
we actually exercise authority under the mighty hand of God. And so we stay in fellowship and communion with the Lord, and He'll lead us, and He'll guide us, and He'll show us the way to go and what to do. So uh, where are you? You're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Where are your problems? Well, your problems are far beneath you. Uh, They're under your feet. In other words, your problems are not over you. What does that mean? Well, when you have problems come, the devil really tries to steal the word through pressure coming on you. And so uh, you'll get word like you get the word today, and then you may go out and you have all these pressures come against you, and you think, what in the world? Like, Pastor was just talking about, you know, we have authority, and it's like, why is this stuff happening to me? Why, why is this coming and that coming and everything? And, you know, we many times pray and want the Lord to remove our problems. But really, according to the word of God, when we pray, especially you're praying this prayer, the Lord wants to change our perspective. In other words, what if you actually saw your problems from where you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far beneath and far below, instead of expecting uh, the Lord to take care of your problems? And um, I know even when we moved out here to plant this church, we had a lot of uh, things come against us. And I can remember after we were here for probably nine months, and I was... um, uh, having a lot of challenges in a lot of areas, like almost every area you could think of. And um, I remember saying to the Lord, like, I kind of had an attitude, not a bad attitude, but this was my attitude towards the Lord, like, Lord, don't you realize that we're obeying you and we came out here to plant a church because you put it in our heart? Like, I didn't, I certainly didn't come up with it. Uh, I certainly would have gone to a small town. (laughs) And uh, so I'm just kind of having this attitude towards the Lord understand I'm not saying it wasn't a bad attitude I was just like Lord aren't you going to do something like don't you see what's happening and um, really when I came out I had um, uh, developed a, this terrible cough for like nine months was it nine months or something like that maybe a year and I just like I would stand to everything that I thought I, I had done before and knew to do and it just it just continued and continued and all I would get when I pray is just stand and so I stood and I'm like Lord aren't you going to do something about this But really, I was waiting for him to do something when he said he's already done it. I have given you authority. And all of a sudden, I started to get light on that. And I thought, wait a second. I'm really, even though I would say stuff, in my heart, I'm really expecting him to do something because he must see my condition. He must know what's going on. And he, you have to care because you know I didn't come out here on my own. And when I realized that, and I started to stand firm in my authority, then Uh, the environment started to change and things started to change. And many times, uh, you know, I kind of tell them myself, but we all kind of slip into that unconsciously. We don't even realize it where you're kind of like expecting the Lord to do something about it. And even in the, in the book there, when um, dad Hagen was at a minister's house and knelt down, he knelt down in a cloud in the, uh, Jesus told him, I'm going to teach you about the devil, demons and demon possession. And, um, uh, in that, you know, remember the little demon appeared to him in the middle of the conversation, put up a cloud and was talking so you couldn't hear and stuff like that. And he was like, isn't the Lord going to do something about that? Isn't the Lord going to do something about that? And uh, uh, the Lord said, if you didn't do something about that, I couldn't have. And he said, I must have heard you wrong because I know you said uh, you wouldn't have, not you couldn't have. He said, really, no, I couldn't have. And then, uh, you know, one of the things I love about Brother Hagen is 
uh, he was always word-based. He said, if you don't find what I'm saying in the Word of God, just forget it. Forget about it. And so he said to the Lord, he said, you're going to have to give me scripture on that because that's different than anything I've ever heard. And uh, he said, really, I want three scriptures from the New Testament because that's what we're living under. In the mouths of two or three witnesses, everything should be established. And the Lord said, I'll do you one better. I'll give you four. And we went through that about three or four weeks ago. Um, all of the scriptures in the New Testament that you resist the devil, you stand against the devil, that it's up to you and it's up to me. And so we could actually be in this condition where we're being attacked uh, by the forces of the enemy. Um, and the Lord doesn't like that we're in that condition, but he's actually given us authority. He's given authority to the body of Christ. So he's waiting for us to do something. And we sit there and we're waiting for him to do something. But he said, I have given you authority. So we're to see with the eye of faith. And we're to see um, with our spirit. Abraham uh, was the father of our faith. And um, I want to read you from Romans chapter 4 from the message translation, uh, starting with verse 16. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and his way and simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of us all. He is not our racial father. That, uh, that's reading the story backwards. He's our faith father. Verse 17. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in the scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as the father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. In other words, he's walking by faith and not by sight. And he was made the father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrificed Jesus was made fit for God, set us, excuse me, the sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God and set us right with God. Isn't that good? That we're no longer uh, dead and apart from God, but he has set us right with God. But it's not by what we see or what we feel or our, even our reasoning. It's actually by faith. Abraham was justified or made right or declared right by his faith. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So Abraham believed God. And so when we get in these situations where it seems like you're being hit from every single direction and all of this pressure is coming on you through different avenues and different ways, we have to change our perspective. And if we look and we say, I don't know why the Lord is not doing something about this. I don't know why this is happening to me. We will be stuck in that position for a very long time. But he's actually given us authority and he's seated us with him in heavenly places. So if we change our perspective and see where he has placed us and what he's given us and the inheritance that we have, then that, this changes everything. This changes the whole thing. Think of Moses when he was leading the Hebrew children and they left Egypt and all of a sudden they're in the wilderness and they come up to the Red Sea. And so they come up to the Red Sea, and if Moses didn't look at what God had given him, in other words, the staff that was in his hand, that he's to stretch out so that the Red Sea parts, but if he didn't change his perspective and have a God perspective, well then, he's defeated. And then he would have been just like the Hebrew children, murmuring, complaining, oh Lord, you just brought us out here to die. But we have to look and see what God has put in our hand, and he has actually given us uh, a rod of authority. Just like he gave Moses that rod, and that rod then represented God's power, and when he obeyed the Lord, he stretched it forth, and the Red Sea parted. And so the Lord really wants to change our perspective and wants us to see things the way that he sees them. You know, really, it's interesting, but... uh, we talk about uh, living in the flesh, and uh, everybody here is living in the flesh. You know, <laughs> you might be dominated by your spirit. Hopefully, you are, and you respond to your spirit. But I see that you're all in a flesh body there, and um, I'm thankful for that. But you realize James talks a lot about testing our faith and the trials of our faith, and really, you see like these tests and these trials come. Why? Because you're actually developed. You're refined. Just like a, a refiner would refine gold, these things come. But James says, when anyone is tempted or tested, let him not say that this is from the Lord. Because God does not tempt anyone. But what happens is, well, we're all living in the flesh. And so many times the problems that we experience are because we responded from the flesh. Are because we didn't walk in line with the Word. We didn't follow the Word. But you know what's awesome? is those tests and those trials that the devil's trying to bring to destroy us, God will turn what he meant for evil into good. And those things actually strip away from us unbelief and instability. And we, through the word of God, build confidence and assurance in what God said. And we say, you know what? I'm not living for myself anymore anyhow. I'm living for Jesus. And so I'm looking to him. And so I'm actually going to take his place. And so the things that we think many times Oh, Lord, you've got to get rid of these things. Like, like the way these people are treating me at the office, I, I can't believe how they're treating me. But really, we're actually to stand up and stand for God and allow Him to use us. Now, I was on staff at a church in Michigan for nine years. And when I was on staff there, you know, we had, uh, as I've said, we uh, were really honored to travel with Kenneth uh, E. Hagan and his wife and the ministry team on the road for the last couple of years he was on the earth. And so, um, man, my first experience with uh, Dad Hagen was in uh, 1998 
in Augusta, Georgia, and it was August of 98, and um, I went to uh, some meetings, and I had just gotten filled with the Spirit, and so I was sneaking off to this church from my Baptist church. I was sneaking off to this church, and um, this older minister was advertised coming, and I found out later it was Kenneth Hagin, who I had not a clue who he was. And um, so I thought, oh, I like older ministers, so I'm going to go to this meeting. So I went to the meeting, and the first night, I mean, it was, it was uh, my thinking at the time was, this is crazy. Because, like, uh, you know, he actually prophesied. I didn't understand it was prophecy at the time. But he said, if you want to move forward with God, I want you to physically get out of your seat and come forward. All these people come forward, crowd the front. And he said, be blessed. And people just fell out in the spirit. And I was like, Lord, is this of you? Like, what is this? And as I like to tell people, I gave $5 in the offering because I wasn't sure if this was of God. <laughs> and, you know, I want to give, but I didn't want to give something that's not of the Lord. And so, and then they're praying for people's eyes to be healed and stuff like that, and I had never seen that, and I thought, that's like from the Bible. What is, what is that, you know, because I thought all that stuff passed away with the Bible times. And so I went home that night and um, was kind of like mulling it over in my heart and talking to the Lord about it, and I'm like, Lord, is this of you or is this of the devil? And um, it's one of my first favorite conversations with the Lord. He did not answer my question directly. He said, go back in the morning, and if you still have trouble with it, then I'll talk to you about it. And, um, you know, at the time I'm like, okay, you know, and so I went back the next morning, and he taught on prayer and used scriptures, same scriptures, some of the same scriptures I'd seen before and many scriptures I had never seen, and I thought, is that in there? And then not only that, he prayed, and I never heard anybody pray like that in my life. And I was like blown away. And I thought, uh, there's really something to this that I have never seen before and never experienced before. And so I was really drawn to that. And, um, and so then a few months later, I moved and uh, went to the Bible school and ended up going on staff. But, um, you know, when you respond, if I had responded out of my flesh and out of the realm of reason and let that dominate me, I would have gotten off track, and I wouldn't have stayed because it was different than what I'd ever seen, what I've ever heard. And then, of course, later you find, like, well, that's all in the Scripture, and there's a lot, of, a lot in the Scripture that I, I didn't know, and I'm sure that I still don't know. And, um, but I was open to it because I followed the leading of the Spirit of God. You know, the Holy Spirit is um, such a gift from God. When Jesus left, you know, he said... I don't want to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you without help. And you can imagine, like, he's on the earth, and you're there uh, at the time, and you're like, he's like, it's better for you that I'm leaving. And you're thinking, no, it's really not. Like, I know you're full of wisdom, full of knowledge, and, you know, you know a lot more, but <laughs> you're still like, really? <laughs> can you explain that to me? But he left us the Holy Spirit. And so when we're in these situations, we really shouldn't just look to ourselves. We should look to the inside where the Holy Spirit is in our spirits, because he has answers, and he has light, and he'll even show you things to come. And so in preparing for this message, I, um, you know, if you've been at the church for any length of time, you know I'm not really happy that in the most translations of the Bible that it translated the Holy Spirit, that he, he will comfort you. And, um, you know, like, because you think of like a comforter on your bed, and that's very comfortable, and he'll make you comfort, comfortable. And that's really only one place in the New Testament where the Greek word actually uh, lends itself to that. So that is certainly true of the Holy Spirit. But um, I looked this up, 
And um, I think this is, this is very uh, good. So I, I kind of paraphrase what William Barclay said describing the Holy Spirit. He is the one who fills a person with power and courage, which makes him able to triumphantly cope with life. He's the one who fills a person with power and courage, which makes him able to triumphantly cope with life. He is the one called in for service to help in a situation with which a man by himself cannot cope. He is an ally, an advocate, a counselor. Actually, in the Greek New Testament, uh, advocate, we learn Jesus is our advocate in 1 John, but so many times the Holy Spirit is the exact same word that, that they use to translate advocate in 1 John as they, that they used in the Gospel of John for the Holy Spirit. It's the same Greek word, advocate. He's our ally, our advocate, our counselor. In other words, he's one you call for help. He'll come alongside you. He knows the protocol. He knows how to address things. He knows what to do, what to say, how to do it. Uh, I, I kind of, I guess I maybe joke about it, but it's actually serious. If I'm having a difficulty with my wife, which normally it's with me because my wife is just so sweet. But if there's something that, you know, you're just like, hey, can we change this or do this? The best way for me to do it is I go to the Lord and have the Lord talk to her because he knows exactly how to talk to her. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody can try to talk to you and help you in an area, but when the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your heart, he knows exactly how to speak in such a way that you'll actually respond in faith and trust in God and you don't feel condemned and you don't feel less than and you don't feel like you don't measure up. He's an ally, an advocate, a counselor. He is the constant, illuminating, strengthening, enabling presence of Jesus. He is an encourager. He is the one who puts courage into the faint-hearted. He is the one who gives the nerve to fight. He is the one who makes a very ordinary person cope gallantly with a perilous and dangerous situation. He is the one who keeps a man on his feet. When left to himself, he would collapse. He is the comfort which allows a man to pass the breaking point and not to break. That's probably my favorite definition that he uses. He is none other than the power and the presence of the risen Christ. And so when we look at the Holy Spirit, if you look at your English translation, it just says comforter. Uh, that means a whole lot more than what our English word comfort means. I, I view it as like the infusing, stabilizing power of God that allows you actually not to turn out of the storm, but to turn and face the storm head on. And you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because like he said, in other circumstances, in normal circumstances, normal ability, human strength, human ability, human reasoning, we would all fail. We would all not be able to do it. We would all fall out. But when you actually allow the Holy Spirit to dominate you and you yield to him and look to him, he'll infuse you with strength and power and confidence and ability and so that you're not afraid to stand against the things that the devil would bring in your life. And you're not afraid to stand against uh, criticism that other people would bring upon you because you have the strengthening and the stabilizing power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. So you see, the Holy Spirit actually will reveal the things of God to you. Jesus said, he'll take the things of mine and show them to you or literally make them real to you. In other words, some people say, well, I follow Jesus, but I'm not, uh, I'm not into the Holy Spirit and all of that. Well, the only way that you can really follow Jesus is if you're open to the Holy Spirit because he's going to reveal the things of Christ to you. He reveals the things of Christ and he makes them real. 
So when you're faced with uh, taking your authority and standing, whether like last week we talked about um, really standing in a position of authority, praying for other people, you have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I gave that example of the guy that uh, really basically died and then uh, Brother Hagin pled his case. Do you know, he said in describing that, I was unconsciously led by the Spirit of God to do it. And in fact, in telling it, he'll say the same thing that all of us would say a lot of times. I don't even know why I did it. Well, you really do know why, because the Holy Spirit has led, led you to do it. But in your realm of reason, you never would have thought of that. You know, and you, you found yourself saying, like um, um, even Charles Finney in praying for revivals. He said, uh, I've had some experiences in prayer that indeed alarmed me. I found myself saying to the Lord, Lord, you don't think we're not going to have revival here, do you? And he was thinking of himself, he's like, the audacity of me to talk to the Lord that way. But he said, I found myself praying that way. Why? Because the Spirit of God was leading him to pray. Because God is searching for someone that will actually allow him to move in the earth. Uh, John Wesley said, it seems that God does nothing in the earth unless someone asks him. And someone first asks him. And so the Lord desires to be involved in our lives. And that's why he sent Jesus to gain victory, and to give us authority so that we're not um, pawns of the devil. In other words, we're not subject to whatever the devil wants. But if we don't recognize our authority, and not only recognize it, but act on what we recognize, we'll just be uh, tossed to and fro with whatever life throws at us. And we'll say, well, I guess this must be the will of the Lord. You ever heard people say that? You know, whatever the will of the Lord, don't worry about it. Uh, somebody out here was helping us with some stuff when we first moved here, and they said, uh, you know, something didn't, uh, something we were, I don't even remember what it was, but something we were looking at didn't uh, turn out the way that we were wanting it to. And they said, well, that just must be the will of the Lord. You know, don't worry. Uh, whatever is supposed to happen will happen. Well, no, uh, the ordinary course of things actually would cause you to miss out on God's very best. And God wants you to have his very best. And authority is given to every member of the body of Christ, every Christian. And you don't have to be um, inspired to use your authority. Uh, I'll tell you one more story and then we'll, we'll pray and close. And uh, this was actually about three weeks ago. And so I have found as a minister that um, it's always exciting to preach on a subject because you get... I feel like extra challenged in that area, you know. And so now I know it's coming, so I kind of prepare for it. But this I, this I was not expecting. But I went for a jog about three weeks ago on a Saturday morning, and it was hot. Uh, well, semi-hot. It was like mid-80s or something. And I probably jogged for like four miles. And um, so I was sweating. And while I'm jogging, I realized, like, I am, like, dripping wet. I am, you know, I'm not, I don't sweat a lot normally. But anyhow, I was sweating a lot. It was so hot. And so I thought, I'm going to have to drink extra water today because uh, I'm sweating so much. So I get home, and uh, once I got home, I drank maybe a little bit of water, but then I got busy doing this and that and everything else, and um, I didn't drink. And so all of a sudden, I started to get this headache, uh, but I didn't do anything about it. Uh, I was so busy, I just kept going on and on and on. And um, before I knew it, I had like this pounding headache, and uh, I... Um, I don't get headaches real often, and so I was sitting there, and I had a lot of stuff to do and was preparing for Sunday, and I said to my wife, I said, Melody, I said, uh, do we have, like, 
aspirin or Motrin or whatever you take for headache because I don't even know what it is. And, uh, so, and she's like, oh, yeah, we have such and such. So she went and got it for me. While she's getting it for me, I said, you know, this is just annoying. I said, because Brother Hagin said the last headache he had was in 1933. And he said, you know, I've had some marvelous opportunities to not have a headache, right? In other words, he actually, his head hurt and it came on him, but he wouldn't accept it and then it left. And so I've got the pills in my head and I said, hand. And I said, this is really annoying. And I said, I shouldn't have to do this. And I said, take the pills and put them up somewhere where the kids can't get them. Do you know, I said that, the moment I said that, all of a sudden, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, wow, this is, this is cool. Look at me. I'm just actually telling you what happened. The moment I said that, this like warm glow came over my head, and it was like my head was encased with like six or eight inches of a warm glow, and then it came down almost kind of to my shoulders. And even as I tell it, like that same thing comes back. And so, and I said to my wife, I said, this is really strange. I said, I've always thought like that a headache was inside my head. I said, but I cannot explain this to you except to say, right now, it feels like the headache is like outside my head trying to get into my head. And I have zero pain. And do you know that glow? I felt that for four hours, about four hours in the day. And then it like slowly subsided and I couldn't feel anything. And when I had that glow, I couldn't feel anything. I, I, I can't explain it except to say that I knew like the headache was like sort of crouching at the door, like trying to like look for an opportunity to get in. And I'm like, no. But what happened is I really unconsciously took my authority. I just said, it, does, it shouldn't be this way. And in my heart, I'll tell you what I was doing in my heart. I said, you know, no, I'm going to look to the Lord because I had spoke to it before that. But I said, I'm going to look to the Lord again because this is annoying me. And um, many times when you're being attacked, you have something in your life. When you get fed up with it and when you're like, no, we're not going to do this, that's when your faith works because you're serious. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, you probably, if you've read Ever Increasing Faith, you know the story of the lady at the bus stop with her little dog, and she's getting ready to go, and the dog's there, and then the bus comes, and she says, okay, sweetie, go home. You know, and the dog kept following her. She's trying to go on the bus. Oh, sweetie, go home, go home. And then all of a sudden, she said, go home, and like tail between the legs and ran home. Wigglesworth saw that, and he said, that's exactly how you have to do the devil. In other words, you have to be serious, and you have to say, no, I'm not putting up with this. I'm not going to do this. But you don't do it based on who you are or what you have in yourself. You do it based on who you are in Christ and who lives in you, that the victor is the one that defeated the devil, and we just enforce that victory. In other words, your body is the temple of the living God. Glorify God in your body. In other words, sickness does not glorify God. So you say, Lord, this sickness does not glorify you. Sickness, you have to leave my body in the name of Jesus. I'm not putting up with it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing our soul and our spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray right now if there's anyone here or anyone listening that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, that you would help them to see their condition. Father, that if they were to die today, that they uh, would miss heaven and go to hell. Father, we pray that that wouldn't be the case for anyone under the sound of our voice. Inside of every person that doesn't know Jesus, there is a God-sized vacuum. And the only one that can fill that void is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is alive and he is alive today. When you come to Christ, you can't make yourself good enough. Don't even try. Come as you are. Jesus paid the price for you and for me, for the worst and for the best. 
He paid the price. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to lift up your hand and we'll pray with you and for you. You'll be born again. You'll be changed from the inside. The core of your being will actually be changed. If that's you and you're listening online, email us at info at anchordc.org. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is alive and powerful, that your word changes us and changes our perspective and transforms our minds. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.